Hi, it's Caitlin, producer of the Rural Futures Podcast. Subscribe where you listen so you don't miss an episode. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Rural Futures. Thanks for listening. You know, having that sense of how we would like our journey to go. And then when we bring a sense of purpose and vision to our organizations, that's gold for the organization, right? Having a a bunch of folks who have a sense of what they want to do, where they want to go. I mean, give me a group like that and I think we can conquer the world. Rural Futures, the podcast where we connect thought leaders and doers at the intersection of technology and what it means to be human. Every episode, we talk with entrepreneurs, researchers, and achievers to create impact for generations to come. And now, here's Dr. Connie. Hi, I'm Dr. Connie, your host of the Rural Futures Podcast. And joining me today for a conversation is Dr. Andy Hines. He's Assistant Professor and Program Coordinator for the University of Houston's Graduate Program in Foresight and is also speaking, workshopping, and consulting through his firm, Hindsight, which I think is a clever name, Andy. That, that, I mean, that was pretty darn good. His 25-plus years of professional futurist experience includes a decade's experience working inside first the Kellogg Company and later Dow Chemical and consulting work with Coates and Jarrett Inc. and Social Technologies in Avaro. Okay, Andy, so that's a little intro about you. Tell us a little bit more about who Dr. Andy Hines is. Well, first of all, thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about the future. That's always a lot of fun for me. For my background, basically, I've worked in um, different aspects of introducing people to the future, saying, look, there's a way that we can we can think about and plan for, prepare for, influence our future in a more systematic way with a few simple tools and concepts. And so I've looked for different venues and opportunities and ways not only to introduce people to the future, but then to help them actually do something about it. One of the benefits of working in different spots, different organizations, and with different kinds of folks is you get a sense of, you know, how does that effective translation take place? How do we translate the future into something that we can do about it today? Well, and you do that through a lot of different avenues, just like your bio said. I mean, obviously consulting, but also teaching, um, a lot of writing, and really prolific in this space in terms of being a futurist and really helping others develop, you know, this sort of strategic foresight ability that we now know leaders need in in this day and age. So could you define for our audience uh, strategic foresight and futuring to help them understand the, the lens you approach this through? Well, the simplest way to think about it is I started out as a history undergrad and, you know, we have all these tools and approaches for studying the past. And I said, well, why can't we do the same thing for the future? And there is a lot we can learn from history. At the same time, part of what we're trying to understand when we look to the future is not necessarily continuity and patterns. That's part of it. But where are the disruptions, uh, major surprises that might influence the future? One of the things that we've learned is that most people have a view of the future that, you know, tomorrow is going to be much like uh, today um, and don't really want to think about the potential surprises. And that's kind of where the, the futures come in. We're pretty good at identifying those potential disruptors. Absolutely. What do you see as some of those surprises right now that maybe other people are not seeing? 
one of the ways that I think that foresight has changed is now there's so much information out there about not only the present, but the future as well. It's a little bit less about, we, we call it finding the hidden gem. I mean, somebody has probably found it. Somebody has probably written about it. And so a lot of what we do now is kind of sift through, synthesize that world of information and try to come up with what we think are those major themes. So certainly artificial intelligence is one that, again, it's a really big deal. The impact of automation on jobs, it's a big deal. A lot of people are talking about it. Um, Even we have automated vehicles. So there's a lot of interesting technologies that are coming. And part of our job is to kind of help translate that. Like, what does that mean for, you know, what we should do in our job? Well, what I appreciate about being a futurist is a lot of people are talking about technology and some of those disruptive technologies. But I happen to know from our pre-convo that, you know, we're also looking at the people side of futuring. What does it mean to live with more purpose? What does it mean to kind of want to frame your own future as an individual And how does that shape the future itself in terms of technology now enabling people to live where they want to live, create the life that they want? And, you know, not just working in a job anymore forever, but really creating this life of purpose. So what are you finding around this this whole concept of um, these Winnebago warriors, (laughs) I think is the term you used in our pre-combo. Tell us a little bit more what you're finding in some of these population patterns. Yeah, sure. So first thing is, uh, I've looked at technology a lot for the last 30 years, and there is a graveyard of really cool, innovative technology concepts that fail to kind of pass that we'll call it the people test. That is ultimately a technology has to be used by people in order to kind of survive, right? So if you're a technology innovator, you ignore people at your own peril. So it's really the interplay of how does technology you know, meet a social or, or people need. And those two things have to come together. And, you know, as we explore the future, one might argue that it's actually that the people and social needs that are actually <laughs> the more compelling and interesting. We talk about automating jobs. There's less need for people to do jobs. So what are we going to do? You brought up a good point that, that it sort of causes us to reflect on what, what is our purpose. Right. And now for many, almost centuries now, uh, our purpose has been to work. And we say this is a pretty extraordinary change that we're living through. As we start to question, that may not need to be our primary purpose anymore. And so, um, you know, you combine that with some technologies that say, like, many of us can work from wherever we want using technology, much like we're using here today, for me to be in the same room with you virtually from Houston. So then it says, you know, if we can work from wherever we want, where, where do we choose to live? It doesn't have to necessarily be close to our job anymore. And we look for a kind of weak signals of change. And one of those that we've we found, we call them the Winnebago Warriors. And it's this, some people have said, well, why, why settle anywhere at all? Let's go to wherever we want. You know, let's spend some time in different parts of the country, get to know different cultures. And, you know, we don't need those permanent roots. Well, and let's just, yeah, create this life experience. We'll make a little money along the way. We're going to figure that out. But now that we can be completely mobile, why buy a home? Is that now the American dream anymore, you know, to own a home with a picket fence and 2.5 kids and a dog? Or is it, you know what? I just want to go do some really cool stuff (laughs) and create this experience that, that really calls me. 
and find my purpose differently. Because, you know, we know that through research, purpose adds about seven years to people's lives. But we also know in the U.S., after people retire, they tend to have health challenges or even we lose them because they've lost their sense of purpose because it's been so tied to their job. How do you see some of that flowing in terms of what it means for people, but also locations? We talk about this a lot with the rural future. Like, could this be a positive thing for the rural future if we have people that are connected? Or do we have to kind of even rethink that a little bit to make sure people can create that life in those rural communities? Yeah, so I, I think one of the really interesting uh, strategic questions, we'll start with the rural area, but it's also true of urban, is, you know, historically or even recently, the, one of the big factors is, can we get Amazon to put a headquarters or put a branch in our area? And, you know, what do we have to give away to get the big company to come and provide us jobs? Like, that's been uh, a lot of focus of, you know, economic development, rural and urban. And again, if we if we believe this trend towards automation and less reliance on work, it sort of creates a different set of criteria for what's the identity of our community, not only ourselves, right? The more progressive schools are helping children think about it's going to be a multiple career world and really think through what are the skill sets, what do I want to do, like preparing individuals for for many changes. And I think maybe a community can think of itself the same way. Like, what's our identity? Uh, what do we want to be known for? And, and recognizing that that too may change over time. You know, can we develop a robust sense of community that can evolve along with the changing time? So the quick example, we, we talked a little bit yesterday, uh, easy one to think about, like, let's look at what happened to Detroit, right? right? Along with a lot of the other declining industrial cities who have gone through a major identity crisis and are now trying to rethink, you know, who should we be? What, how do we get people to come back and what people do we want to come back? And I think that kind of a process of thinking through who we are, who we want to be is, is really the right one and not just assume it's, well, we want to be, a, you know, the site of a major big company so we can have jobs. It may not be who we are. I think, you know, communities themselves also need a purpose now, right? I mean, so what's your purpose for being and existing? We say that about companies, we say that about people, but that also translates into communities because like you just said, how do you want people to experience living here? Why would they want to choose this? Do we also need to rethink about, you know, maybe people will only be here a short time and maybe then they want to go have another experience, right? And so it may not be a lifelong, let's have everybody live here for 40, 50 years. Maybe we should be building more RV parks, Andy, instead of homes. <laughs> That's such a great idea. That's such a great idea. You know, one of the things that I've been talking about publicly about millennials, which I'm I'm kind of sick of talking about millennials, but you kind of have to do it, right? Is that they don't want to stay at the same job for 20 years and work their way up the ladder. I've brought up the idea, well, why not, you know, make, make a sort of a deal that says, look, you come work for us for three to five years, go, go outside and go somewhere else, get the experience you want, stay in touch. And, you know, maybe you come back in 15 or 20 years when you're ready, and then you can become our leader. So have a strategy that says, we know you want to go out there. Instead of fighting that, let's enable it. Now, could a community do the same thing? Like, yeah, as you said, could we have a piece of our community that acknowledges not everybody wants to stay in one place forever? But, you know, so that we'll keep the lights on while you go somewhere else and you're always welcome to come back. And, Absolutely. 
you know, it's not a failure if we haven't kept somebody in the same space for 20 years. So I, I think I love that idea of stop by and come on back. Well, and we all learn when we go have different new experiences, right? And so we can bring such a richness back to those companies like that model you're talking about or even those communities. And, and it takes a different frame of mind, but also, you know, leadership skills that are very growth oriented and different as well. You know, and I'm a proud alum of, of your program in Houston, your certification in strategic foresight. And, you know, that's where we met. And I was just so impressed by all these companies that are there trying to really think about what the future needs to look like. Now, I also always have to add, I was the only person from a university there at the time. So I'm, I'm hoping more universities get on board with what you're doing down there because I think it's so critical. But, you know, the other part you, you really touch a lot on is leadership and the importance of not only having this plan and being able to put this, you know, sort of framework together about the future, but also leading that. Would you tell us a little bit more about leadership now and how you see that evolving in the future to make these types of things happen? Yeah, we, we think that the combination of foresight and leadership makes a whole lot of sense. If you think about, you know, what does a leader really all about? A leader is about bringing people into a future that is typically a little bit different, right? I mean, the, the real challenge of leadership is persuading people to come on a journey that involves change. And we have said, you know, right, right when people join us for the first day, we say, look, you are going to experience resistance to change because it is a natural human phenomenon. Let's have five minutes of complaining about it right now, and then let's just stop it. Right. I mean, because complaining about people resisting change is it's like compl it's complaining about the sun going up and down. I mean, that's the way it is. So we, we do spend a lot of time thinking about, like, how can we embrace it, work with it and sort of bring it on our side, so to speak. And, and that's really what a leader has to do. How do I get people to change and, and make that case to them in a way that seems favorable to them? Right. And so I think that's a, a lot of what we do is, is try to, you know, paint the picture of how the future could be better. Here's what the path looks like. So we try to make the future not a scary, unknown place, but we shed some light on it and say, here are the possibilities. Here's what it looks like. It's not that scary. Come on the journey with us. I think that's a lot of what foresight can bring to the leadership is really some tools to help leaders do the difficult job right. of bringing people into a different future. And speaking of those tools, what are some practical tools that you you help leaders understand that they can use to kind of frame up the desired future and those different scenarios that they might want to think about in more detail and really choose to pursue once they have a better understanding of what's possible? Sure. I think the fundamental concept that we, we talk about is the idea that the future is consists of multiple possibilities, and we just call it alternative futures. That is, even though we may be able to someday plug all the data in the world, all the variables into this huge super brain and hopefully press the button and out comes the answer, our, our view of that is that there are just too many factors to get the future right. But what we can do is is talk about the major kind of plot lines or stories about how the future could be different. And that we've proven over time we can do. We, know, we may not know which exactly which one's going to play out or exactly how it's going to look. We can definitely provide organizations with a preview of what the future might look like such that as it arises, as you start to see that future emerging, you're not surprised. 
we say the worst thing that, that can happen uh, regarding the future is when you're caught unprepared. You hadn't seen it coming. We were blindsided. Just that's disaster, right? The idea of alternative futures is saying, like, we want you to be ready, agile, prepared to respond, if you will, no matter how the future emerges. And I think that would be one key tool that we think is important. Let me put it this way. I think we, we create this line that there's leaders and followers. And I think the mega trend in that space is the blurring of the leader follower line that we may be leading one moment and following the next and kind of shifting or, or passing around that leadership role is, is really, I think, where we're heading. And that does require that one is is out in the field doing things and experiencing, you know, if I'm trying to lead a group of people to a certain place, do I really understand what they're going through? Do I do I know what their daily life is about? And can I experience that and, and really be a more effective leader from that perspective? So I'm not somewhere up in a hill thinking big thoughts, right? I'm right in amongst the daily hubbub, kind of coming at it from that perspective. So I think that's one of the changes that we might see coming in, in the leadership space. Agree. I mean, I think, you know, a lot of leadership was developed in that industrial age as well. And so it's now an area that needs some fresh disruption itself. So I even have to question sometimes this whole idea, why would I want somebody else to lead me? I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, why would I want that? I, I mean, I think if I'm really wanting to develop my own personal future, which I would hope more people would want um, to take control of, I really have to question that whole concept of leadership in the way that you're you're talking about it. That traditional context is saying, you know, I like to talk a lot about developing your own inner leader, your self leadership as well, and you know, working in these sort of networks and working very differently. I think for people to want to live their life in a different way, much like we've talked about. How do we get away from still the more traditional command and control style, which is still very prevalent, and be okay with people in their independence and the way they want to live and create these new models for the future? It's interesting in doing project work, especially with larger organizations, and it can be private as well as public, you know, government agencies or education if they were involved, but they're not, right? A lot of times the client was, well, you know, we, we can get the senior leadership if we can get them on board and we can get them involved. And I agree that there is a point for that. But my experience is most of the work of change, the actual work of changing an organization doesn't come from the top. It comes from somewhere between the middle and the top, right? That's the group that we need to be targeting. Who is actually going to lead the charge in real life? Like who's actually going to implement this stuff? And I would much rather work with the implementers, the doers who are going to actually have to do it. And I'm not trying to knock senior leadership, but I mean, I think we have this almost this worship of we need to get the leaders on board. And a lot of times the leaders, I mean, they may set direction and they may you know, bless, but they're not actually doing it. Right. My own bias is to get with those leaders who are out in the field making the future happen, whether it's an entrepreneur from the outside or it's an entrepreneur from the inside. Like, I think we can translate our foresight tools and say, all right, let's do this. And then, in a sense, you present a, a fait accompli to, to leadership. Like, we've, we've not just talked about it. We've actually created this future. Here's what it looks like. Here's how we do it. Forgiveness rather than permission kind of approach, right? And let's not worry about whether every, you know, every single senior leader's on board. Let's, let's get enough support that we need and let's go, let's go make the future happen and show them. 
Well, and that's what we love to say about the Real Futures podcast is it's for doers. You know, it's for doers. It's people out there being a maverick in some ways and creating the future, you know, that one day at a time, but really looking to create the future that they want and that they see as possible. As we've talked about strategic foresight and futuring, you know, and as I've told you, I use a lot of your material for citations <laughs> because you have this great content that really substantiates strategic foresight and futuring as a discipline. Like one lady thought I, I actually was looking at the stars trying to, <laughs> you know, trying to figure this out. I'm like, no, nope, no, nope. there's actually tools and there's strategies that we use. But, you know, this whole mix of methodology and mindset, I think, is something, too, that in your materials comes out very clearly, I think, in, in a lot of prolific futurists really talk about. So blending that, that mindset and methodology, I think, is such an important part of that. And I know you have this huge network of alumni now that have graduated from your program. What do you see your, your alumni doing as a result of the work you're doing at Houston and also in your consulting practice? Yeah, I think one of the other key tools that kind of informs what, what people do with our work is we spend a lot of time sensitizing people about how do you recognize a, like a signal of change? So we call it horizon scanning, but right. one of the things that all of us do is we're always on the lookout for something that makes us go, hmm. And if you find yourself when you're looking over, however you get your daily information feed and you kind of go, hmm. Like we pay strict attention. And so we really have a method of doing that more systematically. But that's the kind of thing we look for when we see kind of a break in the pattern that makes us kind of give that funny head and make that funny sound. We go, aha, something has challenged our, our way of thinking and we need to pay note of that. So a lot of what futurists do, our alums do in the real world, once they're outside of our academic program, is working very much the typical organizations that I'm sure many of your listeners are in. Inside a large organization, we often have little units of folks that are really trying to stimulate the whole organization to think about the future. So, for instance, we're working with a consumer products company right now that's looking at the future of waste. What are we going to do with all that trash? <laughs> the landfills are closing down. They're filling up. Uh, recycling is, is a little bit in trouble because we can't figure out how to make it economical. So what futures do is we, we really try to think ahead to those future kind of problems and issues and say, look, now's the time for us to think about this issue where we have some we have some wiggle room. We have some space to act. Uh, we don't want to wait until the last landfills closed to think about where we're going to put all this stuff. Yeah, I mean, and, and you think about like on the prolific growth of online shopping and delivery and all the waste that creates, it's just a totally different concept of how do we make this more sustainable over time? Because I don't see that slowing down. What are the changes we need to make as a society to still support, especially if jobs go away, Andy, you know, as we see this de decrease in jobs, people still like to buy stuff and use stuff. You know, how does this whole economic model change? How do consumer patterns and behaviors change? And how do we bring that to the forefront to create those preferred futures that affect communities, businesses, and people? Yeah, I mean, we should scare people that jobs are going away. I remember I was talking about this <laughs> with my daughter who's going, you know, going first year freshman. And she's like, oh, I don't know what to do. Look, we've got time. Like kind of the change that we're talking about where work becomes sort of less central to our identity. I mean, this is a decades long. This is a big process, right? It's not going to change overnight. 
Another thing that we've learned, even though we hear a lot about super rapid change, again, is that people will tend to slow that down. Even though, yes, we could automate all the jobs, we won't right away, right? We have to integrate that into social policy. So even though we, we can see the end point, we know it may take a little longer than we think to get there. So people are still at the center of this. So I'm actually working on a book called After Capitalism, and it's trying to look at, you know, the longer term future. Now, keep in mind, it's definitely the longer term future of, you know, what does a world look like where we don't have to go to work every day? Now, the good news is we're still going to be as wealthy and maybe even wealthier than ever before. I'm so excited about your book. I mean, I think this will be a great to see a long term view on some of this. And, you know, like we've discussed, if people don't think you're a little out there, you're probably not doing this right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I know you'll have some really good stuff for us to all to be thinking about. And I think the sky is falling is sometimes where this whole idea of futuring gets a little stuck. And that no, not everybody's going to see the elimination of their jobs. Many times, if you're really paying attention, or if you're talking to a futurist, you can see these patterns emerging over time. Now, these wild cards happen, but usually they're not as sudden as people think, like you said. And new jobs will be created, new industries will be created. So it's not like the sky is falling, but also when I think about my grandparents' generation and my parents' generation and now ours, and you know, specifically, I guess I, I can refer to this in the United States, it's amazing to see how well we live, but still sort of take almost a negative view of, of that. Oh my God, I, I won't be able to work anymore. What a horrible future, right? I mean, you know, it depends on how you view it, right? right. I mean, obviously, it's viewed as a problem because it's our income is tied to it. But if we could deal with that part of the problem and say, I, I don't think a lot of folks are saying, boy, if I don't get to that factory today, I'm going to be so upset, right? I mean, you were talking about mindset. You know, you know, so as futures, we've learned to kind of, you know, see both sides of it. And that's part of what we have to help people with, to see that, you know, the future isn't either all bad or all good. It's, it's a really kind of a complex mix. And, you know, we, we try to kind of shed some light on those possibilities and say, which ones do we want? Which ones do we want to avoid? Well, and that's what we've really been trying to do here because, you know, a lot of times in rural we hear, and I'm not, I'm not discounting the challenges of rural because there, there are many and they are great. Uh, but we have to learn to find the opportunity within that as well and really have, I think, those conversations around what's possible here. You know, it's not going to be what it was, but what do we want it to be? And so I think those are the conversations that we can continue to have. And I think people like yourself add a new lens to this. I mean, even what you brought up about Detroit, you know, we also have to learn that it's not just rural going through challenges. It's not just urban, but there's this intersection of rural and urban where we could lift all tides, all boats together if we really had some strategy around that and some foresight to think about the possibilities. Absolutely. And I think that sort of, reframing is, is kind of a, a good way to think of the mindset that a lot of what teachers train our folks to do is to, to look at a situation and come at it with a different perspective, right? Can we reframe this from, oh, this looks like a horrible problem to see the possibilities and opportunities in it, which doesn't mean it's easy. So we don't want to That's minimize, right. oh, we can make every problem <laughs> go right. away. But um, a lot of times we get stuck in, you know, a certain frame of how we look at things. Part of our job is to come in and kind of jog that frame and say, hey, challenge the assumptions, challenge the model and say, can we think about this in a different way? Yeah, I so appreciate that process. And I so appreciate futurists like yourself who are really 
I think expanding the field itself and adding that credibility, but also, you know, have that experience of helping companies and even communities think through this. And so that marriage, I think of what you do um, in your business world, you know, you're an entrepreneur yourself. And I think that's so incredibly important to have in our higher education system. So I'd like to touch on that just a little bit. How do you see higher education evolving in the future? We, we did actually look at the future of higher education a couple of years ago from the perspective of the student, which is kind of funny that it's the noticeably absent perspective. Most of the work on the future of higher education is from the institutional perspective. What, what does the institution need to do? So we thought it'd be fun to just kind of say, well, what are students likely to want from the institutions? And so I think there's always a small minority of institutions that are at the forefront of change and they see it coming and they're doing what they can. And usually there's a, a mass of, of any industry, higher education, it doesn't matter what the industry is. As change comes at it, will tend to hold on tighter to what got it in trouble in the first place. So, you know, I think the mega trend in, in higher education is, is sort of opening up the possibilities of learning, like, you know, tearing down the walls of this is a classroom, this is a curriculum. And it's kind of saying, you know, what do I need to learn? And I don't need to be kind of confined by what's in the established curriculum, right? So that's this mega trend that's been sweeping across. And, you know, part of the response of the established institutions say, let's, you know, let's make it harder to get into school. Let's make the tests more rigorous. Let's, let's do all the stuff that's made us great in the first place, right? It's what we've built our reputation on. So let's stick to our knitting even harder in the face of a change that said it's going in the other direction. So I think there's a lot of that going on. You start to see, you know, a lot of our sister and, and brother universities, other institutions, double down on what they've always done, maybe make it more rigorous. Like how do we, you know, add to this experience in the same way we've done, like you're saying, rather than, you know, how do we disrupt ourselves? How do we think about that end user and think about what they want and desire? You know, we have an online high school here at the University of Nebraska, which is a great, great thing for us to have because we, even with this whole population piece that we see all this shift, you know, there's more and more people questioning even sending their kids to traditional elementary schools or high schools, because if they're traveling, if they're a Winnebago warrior, you know, they want their kids to learn what life can look like beyond the traditional norm and standard. And so how do we create this mobility, not just for adults, but for whole families in some ways? There is a really important role for, if you will, established traditional institutions to provide some kind of common core, right? So it's not that every organization needs to be entrepreneurial and different and experimental, but it's more like, what's my niche in the ecosystem? And we do need some organizations that are providing the, we'll call it the stability and continuity, you know, to complement the innovators that who are, you know, around the edges of the ecosystem. So I think we could totally see a, a healthy kind of higher education ecosystem that has both, right? It has some established institutions providing that kind of core knowledge and it has the innovators around the edges who are, you know, providing kind of the new and interesting and experimental stuff. And I think those things can coexist. It's just, you got to kind of acknowledge that first, right? It doesn't have to be one or the other, it's both. 
it's kind of finding your niche and your purpose again, right? Like, why do we need to exist? (laughs) Here we are, right? Right back at purpose. (laughs) That's right. Very full circle. I've got a personal question. I would love to know from you, Dr. Hines. How do you keep your futurist brain fresh? Well, it certainly helps to have a group of uh, really intelligent, creative graduate students to have to teach. <laughs> so I think that definitely um, that keeps keeps you going. One of the things that's really been fun for me in the last few years is I've really we've done a lot of work around the sustainability stuff. I mean, that's just been a huge theme. And I've kind of taken that into like my my fun time where, you know, now I'm doing composting, I'm out gardening, doing a lot of sort of nature stuff. And I I just love it. And I love kind of practicing and seeing, you know, how does natural systems work. But it's just great to kind of unplug from the, the world of overload and just have some time to kind of, you know, refresh, reinvigorate and kind of let it all soak in. And I I find that we come back to our work a little more fresh and revitalized. Well, and I love that you're doing that in Houston. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? That's that's just, that's awesome. Because I think too, you know, we can kind of see this weak signal, right? Where people are wanting to unplug, you know, we're on all the time. So how do we unplug, you know, as somebody with both a hard science background and, you know, a human social science background, the intersection of those disciplines and those sciences, I think, is so critical in terms of creating, you know, you've used that word ecosystem a lot in this interview. And, and in so many ways, we can learn from nature and those natural systems, not only on how to build different models in that future, but also how to take care of ourselves, I think, in ways that always existed and we need to reconnect with in, in some ways. Yeah, and we actually teach part of our curriculum we teach called personal futures planning. And it's basically taking the same principles that we use with organizations or you know, government agencies, whoever it might be that we're working with, and do it on ourselves. Maybe as I've gotten a little older and more reflective, I really tried to think about, am I practicing what I'm preaching? You know, I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of different sectors, industries, and, and groups of people. And I've learned a lot from them and, and now trying to apply that more in my personal life. Okay, Andy, obviously I could talk to you for hours because I always learn so much from you and we so appreciate you taking the time to be on and we know you're, you're very, very busy. Um, but I'd love to know what your parting words of wisdom for our audience are. Well, I would say that thinking about our own personal futures is, you know, I, I can't think of a better advice because I think if we have our own sense of purpose that we've talked about, you know, having that sense of purpose and in, in some sense of direction, it really helps you when when it comes time for the you know those pivotal choices where should I you know should I go left or right? Having that sense of purpose can help guide you kind of along those those choice points, right? So I, I think uh, having our own sense of how we would like our journey to go, and then when we bring that to our organizations, that's gold for the organization, right? Having a, a bunch of folks who have a sense of what they want to do, where they want to go. I mean, give me a group like that, and I think we can conquer the world. Oh, I love that. That's a perfect, <laughs> perfect note to end on. And I really appreciate that you know, you're using that strategic foresight, not just to teach so many others. Obviously, you're making a huge dent in the world in this, this space by the work you're doing. But again, you're walking that talk. You're using it personally. 
and you're seeing the fruits of that purposeful planning and thinking about your own future. So that's very cool, I think, to think about how others could use those tools in their own lives and really make things happen for themselves that they desire to have happen, not just letting things happen to them. Um, Andy, one last question I have for you before we sign off is where can people find you? Sure. A um, couple different places in the web. Houston Futures, all one word, is a site that describes like the academic thing that we're doing, the week-long trainings and things like that. So there's ways you can kind of learn about how to do this. And then my own stuff, I have a little blog, which is really fun, by the way. I got to say, I really enjoy putting together my weekly blog post. And that's at uh, andyhindsight.com. Thanks for listening to Rural Futures with Dr. Connie. Give us a rating and drop us a review to let us know what you think of the show. You can find us on social media at Rural Futures. Our next episode features Seth Derner, co-founder and co-CEO of Viveic, a startup company based in Nebraska, but with a team across the country. Seth started out as an agriculture teacher, but for the past 13 years with Viveic, he and his team have designed and implemented training programs for companies and organizations nationwide. People have access to information like they've never had access before, but learning is more than just being able to access information. It's giving people an experience. It's putting them in situations. It's challenging them to think differently. It's giving them a a chance to get their hands on a real world situation and figure out how to solve the problem.